Good evening, friends. This is Franz Weinschenk here to welcome you to another edition of Valley Writers Read. And man, have we got a treat for you tonight. Reading this evening is a real favorite of ours, a prolific and very successful author who, believe it or not, was on our very first program some 17 years ago. It's none other than Bonnie Hearn Hill. You'll soon see that Bonnie's story tonight, although very unusual, is still very believable. So, without any further ado, here's Bonnie Hearn Hill to read Black Moon Lilith. Lone Star, where are you out tonight? This feeling I'm trying to find. It's dark and I think that I would give it. For you to shine down on me Black Moon Lilith I didn't want to come out stealing today, not with Mercury and retrograde, but Brownie makes all of the decisions in our family. He only pays attention to what he calls that astrology mumbo-jumbo when I tell him about good things. Most people are like that. All they want is the bright side. Me, I like to poke around in the dark. It's the only way to be prepared for the worst that can happen. If astrology was a class like U.S. history or Spanish, I'd be valedictorian of the Zodiac. I've never talked about it at any of the schools I've been to, though. Brownie and Gran have told us about the teachers, the way they get points for how many families they can turn in. The kids at those schools are just as bad. They get points, too. I'm glad we'll be leaving here tonight. It is my job to open the boxes. Even though I'm 15, I look a lot younger, especially in the black T-shirt with princes printed out in clear stones across the front. I'm more nervous than usual today, though, more careful, and not just because of Mercury. The customers look past me to stare at their reflections in the big screen TVs at the front of the store. If they notice me at all, they probably see only another skinny high school freshman, light brown hair a little too limp, pale face a little too thin. No one pays any attention to a kid down on her hands and knees digging through the cartons. No one sees the box cutter or the quick movement of a hand into the stash of cameras. I smile up at Gran. She stands nearby, handbag opened, in that accidental way only perfect planning can achieve. The baseball cap hides most of her gray-streaked blonde hair. Her eyes appear even larger behind the pink-tinted glasses she picked up a couple of months ago. She looks at me blankly. Part of it is the show we're putting on for anyone who might be trying to catch us. Part of it is that she doesn't like any hint of celebration until we're out of a store and back in the van with Brownie. My fingers are wrapped around a camera when I get the feeling that someone is watching me. I look up. The tall, bald man across the aisle gives me a casual glance that hits me in the gut. His suit is way too formal for this place, and his tie is way too shiny. Everything about him screams security guard. I begin to hum happy birthday. 
On cue, Gran asked in a loud voice, What you got there, hun? I straighten and hold the camera out to her. Can I have it, I ask, matching her cheerful tone. She pretends to decide, then shakes her head. Not today. Put it back. I give her a fake, pleading look, then slowly replace the camera in the box. Neither of us acknowledges the guard. The happy birthday song was my idea, and it saved us more than once. I'll return for the camera later. We've left towns before, only not as fast as we're leaving this one. Tonight we're going up north, close to San Francisco, a place where there's a harbor and some people who live on boats. Brownie says we might even rent a houseboat of our own. But for now, we've got to empty the store of everything we can grab until he picks us up. Joey and Heather wait for us in the housewares department, although you'd never guess they were waiting for anyone if you didn't know. They hold hands and giggle like a young couple out to furnish their first apartment. Their job is to appear so happy and in love that most people won't want to notice what they're really doing. My job is to protect them if someone does notice. It's the way we've always done it. Because, as Brownie says, I lie better than anyone. Heather's maternity top bulges, and I wonder what's in there. The girl can walk down an aisle of electric knives and can openers, and the displays will disappear off the shelves. She looks the way I wish I did, with shiny blonde bob and innocent blue eyes. Her sharp tongue has gotten her more beatings than the rest of us, but she cares about the family. I know she'd never do what Elise did. Nice microwaves, Gran says, and checks out the display. Not today, Joey tells her. We've already maxed out. You handle it, Princess. I can do it. Heather moves in front of me as if we're in competition. Before I can stop her, I realize that we aren't alone. That same security guard walks along the aisle behind us. Something's wrong. Security geeks have their stations. They don't follow you all over the store. Unless... I began humming again. Gran stops and glares at Heather. Not now, she says. I told you I can handle it better than she can. And I said not now. The guard heads toward us. I turn toward a display of coffee makers, but I can still hear him approach. Past Gran, past Joey, past Heather, who is really going to be in trouble tonight for all her spouting off. But I'm the one the guard is coming after, as if he knows my special talent for lying as if he wants to challenge it. You ladies need help, he asks me. I turn slowly and look up at him. Sure do. I shoot it back at him in a friendly kid voice, as if unaware that security guards do not wait on customers. My gran, she's looking for a crock pot we saw in one of those infomercials. I say it like a question. Brownie would be proud. What kind of crock pot? His voice is low, almost musical, as if he's trying not to scare me. No worries. I could lie my way past a dozen security people. Well, I begin, it was really big. Know what I mean? You could cook a four-pound pot roast in it. He looks down at me in an arrogant way, as if daring me to continue. That's not exactly a detailed description. What's not detailed about a four-pound pot roast? I meant, Princess, Grand calls out. Come on, we're going to get some lunch. I need to catch up with my family, I tell him. See you, he says. That makes me shiver. Princess Grand shouts, and I run to her. The aisle is bordered by hair-netted women offering pizza, sausage, and pasta samples. You ditched him, she says. Are you okay? 
Yes, and I wish you wouldn't call me Princess. It's your name, hon. No, it's not. I told you my name is Lilith. That's just something you read in some astronomy book. Astrology. Whatever. Come on now. Joey's ordering for us. Hot dogs today. We all eat the same thing. It's the way we've always done it. I wanted tacos. Don't complain. We had them on Monday. Monday, when Elise was still here. I just hoped we could have them again today. I feel as if I'm going to cry. No, hun. It's not good for you to eat the same thing all the time. Hot dogs will be all right then. I can't help remembering that day, the way I knew something was wrong, even before Elise had told me what she was going to do, and I had begged her not to. Last year, after Brownie let me have one of the computers, I had started reading about astrology on the Internet. That was the same time I learned about Black Moon Lilith, about how every sun sign, even my wishy-washy Libra, has one. Black Moon Lilith. The name hooked me the moment I saw it. She was who I wanted to be. Like I told Heather and Elise, most people try to ignore the darkness in their lives. Doing so doesn't get rid of your fears, though. It only manifests them. If you don't acknowledge your demons, they own you. My sisters weren't impressed by any of that. All they had cared about was what their signs meant and when they would find true love. At night, in our bunks, I had explained to them what traits made them special, and I had warned them about what situations they should avoid. Right now, I wish I'd tried harder to stop Elise. Grand's staring at me as if she knows what I'm thinking. I attempt to distract her by going up to a lady giving away samples of pasta salad. Get back here, princess. Funny thing about Gran. She'll help us steal a store to the ground, but never once have I seen her take any of the free food samples. Heather says it's because she thinks she's too good, but I'm not so sure. Gran says it's because she'll never accept another handout. Maybe the reason is as simple as that. I think about the time I watched her lift three cases of champagne from a hotel room before a wedding. Not to drink it, of course. Gran hates any kind of addiction. If she has one, it's what we're doing right now. And Brownie, of course. They've been together a long time, since before my own folks died and Gran took me in. We pass the free mini burritos and cheese wedges, the paper cups of berry yogurt, the stiff stir-fried chicken strips and teriyaki sauce. No thanks, Gran replies to every offer. At the front of the store, we stake out a picnic table close to the food stand. I told Brownie that Mercury was in retrograde, I say. Not a good time for new projects. Lots of potential for mechanical failure. You're making that up. Heather pats the bulge beneath her top, which is pregnant only with whatever she's been able to shove in there today. You're only saying it because you want to leave now. I'm saying it because I hope Brownie got the van checked out. You know I'm right about this stuff, Heather. Same as I was about your sign. I guess so. I suspect that she is thinking about Elise, too, and that is the real reason she is being extra snippy. Remember, you're a Gemini, I tell her. Your black moon, Lilith, is influenced by Mercury, your ruling planet of communication. You need to watch what you say and who you say it to. Can the double talk, will you? Grand toys with a squeeze bottle of relish. Just remember what we're here for. Behind the tinted lens of the glasses, she looks as if she has the pink eye. Why does that make me break out in chills? What's wrong, Gran asks. Did I ever have something wrong with my eyes when I was young? You're still young, she says, and no, you passed every test. I never had the pink eye. 
As I say it, I feel the cool sting of medication and hear a male doctor voice calling me a name that is swallowed by a roaring in my ears. I told you no. Don't start getting weird on me, princess, especially not now. You know what we've got to do. She's right. I know it all, including the part she doesn't have to say. What we have to do to save our family. It's what we've always done, and that is reason enough to do it again. Joey comes back with the hot dogs and iced tea. Behind him, that same guard leans across the food booth, a cup of coffee in one hand. He's about Brownie's age, 35, maybe 40, but taller, and he is too far away for me to tell about his eyes. I wonder if he has kids when he comes home at night and takes off that pale gray suit and striped tie. Do they talk about how many shoplifters he busted at work that day? He's watching us, I say, watching you. Heather looks over the table, then squeezes mustard along her hot dog in a determined yellow line. Better call Brownie, I tell Gran. Not yet. We need a full haul. Let's have our lunch, then take a little walk over to the garden department. If the guy follows us there, it might be too late. You read too much of that astronomy, princess. What she is really saying is that she's more afraid of what Brownie will do to us if we ask him to pick us up early than of what the guard will do to us if we stay. Astrology, I tell her again, although I suspect she only says it in that way to irritate me. Eat your lunch. Astrology. It has done things for me that no person has. It's told me why Brownie can be so mean sometimes and why Gran stays. It even warned me about Elise. Thinking about her makes me want to cry again. I bite into my hot dog and pretend it is the steam that makes me blink. Lunch is over and the guard is still hanging around. He leans against the food bar and stares at us. I finish my tea and squeeze the rest of the lemon wedge onto the remaining ice. Take it with you. Gran pushes out her plastic chair and stands up next to me. We need to get back to work. I dump my paper plate and cup into the trash can. If he follows us there, will you please call Brownie? Only if we have to. In the bright light, the lines in her leathery skin seem to deepen. If we upset him today, I can't stop whatever happens. Like she couldn't stop what happened to Elise. Then I guess we'd better go to the garden department. That's more like it. Why don't you and I head through this side of the store, and Heather and Joey, you go the other way through the toy department. Elise had told me that if I screamed the way she always did, Brownie would stop sooner. But I couldn't, probably because I had never believed it was true. Brownie stopped when he got tired, and the rage in his eyes dimmed and burned out the way a fire does. I never made a sound when he hit me. Now it's as if all the screams I bit back and bottled up are ready to explode inside me. Please call him, I say again. Gran shakes her head, and for a moment something like fear flashes in her eyes. You've got to get yourself together. Come on now. We walk through the gift area. The mingled scents of candles make me want to sneeze. I turn toward a display of fountains, and there he is, the guard. Keep going, Gran says. If we have to, we can stash my bag here. That creep can't prove anything. My flesh tingles. He doesn't seem interested in her or the bag. He is looking only at me. Gran stops, then picks up a candle, the color and scent of fresh pine. No need for us to stay together, she whispers. Jewelry department is to our left. 
You pretend to be looking at stuff there. I can head straight through the gifts. What if he follows me? I'm really getting scared now, and all of those screams are swelling up inside me. As long as we meet up in the garden department, we'll be fine. You're not carrying anything, are you? It's all in your bag. I need to go back for some cameras, though. Good girl. Take care of that first. Another 30 minutes and Brownie will be here. The moment she takes off, I realize that my eyes are burning. I walk blindly through this store that is supposed to help launch our new life in a new place. I hate every step, and yes, I hate myself. I'm not sure why. It must be because of what happened to Elise. Did she really do it to herself, or did Brownie? Please don't let it be true, because if it is, I know he'll hurt me too. No, not hurt. Kill. Might as well be honest about it. Brownie could kill me too. Where are you heading? I almost jump out of my skin. Then I look up into the face of the guard. Leave me alone, will you? I just ask where you're going next. To steal the camera I tried to steal earlier, thank you very much. Electronics, I say. Mind if I hang out with you? Of course I mind. Why are you harassing me anyway? Are you some kind of perv? You know better. I'm here to help you. You need to believe that. Yeah, right. And if you come one step closer, I will yell my head off. Calm down, he says. Tell me your name. None of your business. You don't remember it, do you? Princess, I keep my voice low, steady. Read my shirt. Your real name. I haven't done anything wrong, I say. I know. You'll be all right, I promise. You're strong, like Elise. He speaks as if he knows her, as if he knows me. Get away, I reach for my phone. I'm calling my gran. He touches my arm in a friendly way. That woman you believe is your grandmother takes children no one else wants. I'm not talking adoption here. She and her boyfriend steal them. I don't believe you. Kids who slip through the cracks, the ones no one cares enough about to go looking for. Every now and then they take the wrong kid and all hell breaks loose. You're not a security guard, are you? My voice is shaking. You don't even work here. I'm a friend, someone who helps people remember. You saw J.J. Brown beat Elise, didn't you? No. She said he tried to kill her because she was going to tell what he and his girlfriend are doing to you kids. Elise is alive? I blurt it out before I can stop myself. He nods. If the police don't have Brown by now, they will shortly. You need to come with me. You're lying. My eyes fill with tears. I'm the one who's supposed to be the liar, the one who can talk my way out of any situation. You deserve better than the streets, he says. There are people who care. I start to tell him that this isn't the streets, that it's my... my what? Grand stands at the entrance in front of the large screen TVs. She shoots me a look that's a combination of hurry up and something else I can't define, something I've never seen on her face before. She's holding her cell phone, speaking into it. I see her mouth my name, watch the angry twist of her lips. Come on, she calls to me. Let's get out of here. I can't force you to stay, he tells me. I'm not a cop. But if you'll come with me to the store manager's office, I promise you'll be safe. Arrested and fingerprinted is more like it. Don't keep pretending, he says. You know better. Princess, Grand calls out. Hurry up or we'll be leaving without you. I can't. I am saying it to both of them now and to myself. I just can't. All right, then. He starts to turn away, and the look Grand gives me tells me we've done it again. I can almost hear her sigh. 
Brownie will be pleased with us, and when he's pleased with us, he's pleased with her. We can go north, live on a houseboat, be a family. Without Elise, my feet won't move. I can't, I say again. The man pauses and stares back at me. If you won't let me help, there's nothing else I can do. Then he starts for the back of the store. With each step, he's farther away, my decision more permanent. Before I know it, I am moving toward him. Princess Gran yells, don't be crazy. He turns, speaks. Lily? The word chases me, echoes in my eardrums. Not Lilith, not Princess, not the many lies I've told to others and myself, layer upon layer so many times that they buried anything I'd ever once known of the truth. I stop. He puts out his hand. Lily? His voice soft now barely a whisper. Lily, it is my name, mine, and at this moment it is all I have in the world. Slowly, I put out my hand, too. was Bonnie Hearn Hill reading Black Moon Lilith, a story about how a girl was abducted at a very young age and indoctrinated into belonging to a shifty gang of shoplifters. You'd have to say she's a victim of what is called the Stockholm Syndrome, where those who are abducted show signs of loyalty to the hostage takers. I guess you're especially susceptible to that syndrome if you're very young and don't have any family or support groups looking out for you. In a situation like that, I guess it's any port in a storm. So here we have Lily, nicknamed the Princess, who has become a willing member of this gang, and like the rest of them, she obeys Brownie's orders. And if it weren't for the fact that somehow Elise had narrowly escaped with her life, Lily might never have decided to run for her life as well. After listening to Bonnie's story, I think we're all going to be just a little bit more observant and careful in all the stores where we shop. Friends, Bonnie Hearn Hill was one of the first six writers to be on our program some 17 years ago when we first aired Valley Writers Read. She was also the first woman to read for us, and she's been a very successful writer ever since. She's had six novels published by 
the international publisher Mira Books. Furthermore, her short stories have been featured in numerous best-selling anthologies by both the Mystery Writers of America as well as international thriller writers. This year, Bonnie will have three novels published in the star-crossed young adult series, Aries Arising, Taurus Eyes, and Gemini Nights. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for your contribution in the past and for your great story tonight. Keep up the good work. And so we come to the close of another edition of Valley Writers Read. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to hear tonight's or any other Valley Writers Read story, just go online to kvpr.org and link up with archived audio. Next week, our author will be John Walk. In the meantime, this is your host, Franz Weinschenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a production of Valley Public Radio produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinschenk. Please join us again next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another edition of Valley Writers Read. Mm-hmm.